0: This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's o s e a malibu.com code GLOW. Hi again everybody, Tom Brenneman and welcome to Dialed In. As always, we thank our friends from the Believe Network and as always our producer engineer Dave Armbruster, I'm Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us. Joe Buck, part two. If you weren't with us for part one, I would highly recommend you go back and listen. Joe talks about his dad and his mom, the influence that they were on his career. And he also talks about, you know, going through the death of his father and, you know, what that meant. He also talks about losing his voice, thought his career was over, and it was a result of, you know, we talked about it. Everybody has insecurities. Everybody has their thing. His was he was losing his hair. So he underwent multiple hair plug surgeries that eventually led to a problem with one of his vocal cords. It's really, really good stuff. He's just so open and so sincere and honest. But, Joe Buck, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get into Joe's career when we come back. Big moments, big plays. Would he have a call back if he could do it? All that next on Dialed In. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details, or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YES-CHNK. Living with Change is a nonprofit organization supporting transgender youth and their families. Transgender youth face higher rates of violence, victimization, substance abuse, suicide risk, and homelessness, but have few resources to help deal with those issues. To combat those numbers and in partnership with Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, LWC created with Living with Change Center for Gender Health. Serving more transgender patients and families than any other center in the Midwest. For more, please log on to Livingwithchange.org. I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about calls and moments or games, because I mean, you know, anybody can ask that kind of stuff, and it's not that they aren't fascinating and interesting answers, but I remember, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, there was a time. Where there were some people out there, I don't know how much stock you put into their opinion, that you did not get excited or animated when you were you were calling big games right. or a big play right. and all that. And I, I I thought I remember where you had actually said, you know what, I got to make a change in this regard. Is that true?
1: It is true. I and and sometimes I listen back to old stuff and and I'm like, you know what. Those people, whoever they are, I don't know. There's not like one person. It's like like an Internet thing. I I don't totally disagree. And I think it it came from a good place. It came from meaning what I was trying to do. I was trying to get out of the way. I was trying to, and I don't know if that comes from being Jack Buck's son. I don't know if that comes from being the young guy, like trying to find his way. I certainly know that it, it didn't help taken over for Pat Summerall and John Madden sure. back when that happened, because Summerall was the master of that, but that was his style. You know, he would just say, Montana, rice, touchdown. Yeah. You know, he, he was, there, there were, it was an economy of words and it was really not over the top. And I think I started going, well, if if that's how it's been done by somebody I think's the best with Mad with John Madden, uh, meaning Pat Summerall then that's how I should do it and I kind of fell into that trap which is ironic because I never fell into the trap of trying to sound like my dad. Mm-hmm. But here I am falling into the trap of trying to sound like Pat Summerall which is just stupid. And 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 so I I started to really downplay everything. Not cuz I didn't love it, it was it was actually the opposite. It's because I loved it so much I wanted to kind of get out of the way mm-hmm. of
0: it. That makes sense.
1: And and I I listened back to that I'm like those moments deserved more—not all of them, but some of them—and and I think when I came off the vocal cord issue, I was like, you know, I, I have now gone from worrying about what I was going to say to how the hell I was going to say it and what it was going to sound like. So now that my voice is back, I'm just going to let it fly, and and it's 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 been you know career changing for me, and I love doing it that way, because that's really what I always wanted to do. Yep, yep. But I always try, I fell into the trap, and I don't know if you did too. It's different. When you're putting on the headset for a local team, it's different than when you put on the headset uh, for a network. Uh, of course it is. It, and it's different, you know, the fans expect different. You know, when you're the the Cardinals guy, which I was, it's all Cardinals all the time. It's mm-hmm. yay Cardinals, boo other team, basically, with the tone of your voice. And, and, you know, the network job is different. So I tried to, I, I fell into a trap and fortunately I was able to climb out of that trap and and change the way I was doing it. And I much prefer doing it this way anyway. So it, it really worked out. It worked out well.
0: Do you have a moment that you say is the best call? Mm,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say a couple, but, but like you, I'm sure you don't People go. What are your five best calls? I'm like. I don't.
0: I don't no. I, I, I don't know either. Down. But but. Or maybe yeah, maybe a better question is: Was there a moment like for me? You know. I, I mean. I. That Fiesta Bowl that I did with um, with Barry Alvarez and Charles Davis when Boise State yeah. shocks Oak, you know it was more because it was a you know hook and ladder on a fourth down. It was a Statue of Liberty play. They go for the two point conversion. The guy you know proposes to his girlfriend in the end zone after the you know all those sorts of right. things. I kind of just yeah. say, man, that was like a moment I will never forget. And I'm like you, I don't remember yeah. much.
1: Yeah, I, I for some reason, they all kind of blend together. I, I would say, like, the Stefan Diggs Minnesota miracle yep, yep. was great because it was just shocking. It was shocking to everybody in that dome. It's probably shocking to both sidelines because you're, 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 you're mentally geared up for a guy to make a catch and just hop out of bounds and then try a field goal to win the game. Instead, he makes the catch, he spins around, and nobody's there, and he has the wherewithal to just run down the sideline and score a touchdown and it's like it's a walk-off touchdown. Rarely do you get a walk-off touchdown. You get home runs uh, or a big three-pointer or a big goal, but rarely do you get walk-off touchdowns. Normally it comes down to a kicker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was cool. Um, I, I think the McGuire home run call I would put up just because of the pressure of it. Sure. Everybody in 98 going, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Because I was doing the Cardinals every day, and then Fox takes this one game. Uh, and puts it on prime time. They're playing the Cubs. Just like if it was a Disney script, they go, "No, this is too over the top." You know, like dial it down. But he's, you know, Sosa's applauding in right field. He breaks the Maris record. Yes, we're all more uh, aware of everything else that was going on behind the scenes back then. But that doesn't take away from the joy of that moment, or me, you know, not falling into the trap of trying to get to some canned line that right, I thought right, of that right, morning.
0: Right because
1: it was a wall scraper that barely was fair, barely got over the wall. I had my eyes up to make sure it was a home run before I'm launching into something I'd written down. And I noticed that he was watching it too. And he jumped over first base and mm-hmm. decided, and that became part of the call. I, for me, for my money, your best call or the one that stands out to me is the Jeter play in Oakland or against Oakland. Yeah, with, that was fun with that with the relay from right field and Jeter is in the perfect place and he you know he shuffles it side-handed you know off to his right to to end the ball game I think to
0: or keep it tied Yeah right it right he basically won the game it was yeah, incredible play he won incredible the game play
1: against the A's and I would put that call up of yours and I would I would put that in a in a broadcast class and say go ahead if you think you're good at play-by-play, call that.
0: Well, I really appreciate that. We had one in
1: this last World Series with a play at the plate, Dodgers and Rays, where all hell is breaking loose, and, you know, there's a play at the plate, and a stumbles going around third, and then Will Smith, the catcher for the Dodgers, tries to swipe tag, and he misses the ball, and then a gets up, and he slaps the plate, and it's like, I mean, if you want to call play-by-play on national TV, call that one. Right. See how you do. Yeah. Because there's so many moving parts to that. It's like, where are your eyes and what are the words? And you nailed it. And I'm proud of that call that I had this past October. Those are the ones that stand out to me, like the tricky ones. The ones
0: yeah, that's you right.
1: You have made a hundred mistakes, yep. and instead you got it. And that that's way cooler to me than you know a, a Plaxico Burris touchdown in a Super Bowl.
0: Is there a call you'd like to have back?
1: Um, no, I, I don't. I don't know about you, but I, I feel like it's it's almost unfair to after the fact go. God, I wish I because all game long you're making endless mental choices to. Where what am I going to say? Or sometimes, as importantly, what am I not going to say? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I get one thing thrown in my face over and over again, it's the Randy Moss. That's disgusting. Right, right, right.
0: At Green Bay, I thought you were spot on, and I'm not saying that because you're on the show. I mean, look, you know, and 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 I I, I try all I can as I've gotten older not to be. Try to be less judgmental and 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 less controversial and all those kinds of things. Unfortunately, I think that's where the world's going. And there's a whole lot of blue spots on blue walls out there. But I thought you were spot on on the moss thing. I mean, come on, come on. Well, well, and I mean, I'm not I'm asking you to relive it. I'm just saying, come on.
1: No, I don't care. I'm. I. I mean, I relive it all the time. And and I. And my point of it all is, I'm not sure. Well, two things. One, I'm not sure that I wouldn't feel the same way if I saw it. Tonight, And I was on TV, but I'm also not sure that I would have said it right. And, and because as you say, I think we're all, we've all been kind of pushed back into the middle lane and, and, and there's a lot less uh, room for editorializing. And it's just like, let's be vanilla. And let's just do the game and get out of there and go to the hotel bar. That let's, let's just, let's just do it. And not really get out on any limbs, and then and so when I listen to it, I'm like, God, man, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. Not because I didn't think it, not because I still don't. And Randy and I are great. In fact, my wife works at ESPN, and of all the people on that set on Monday Night Countdown, he's the best dude. And and he and I talk all the time. So it's, it's it has nothing to do with Randy. It was just the moment and him doing that, and then you know moving his backside to the goalpost and all that, and I was like. I don't know. I, I had a visceral reaction to that. Is that. But but again, I don't know that I would say that again on national TV if the situation presented itself. I might think it, but I would probably not say it.
0: A friend of mine shared with me, like a second dad to me, a guy here in Cincinnati named Eddie Shepard. He said to me years ago, he said, Tom, um, the hardest word to say in the English language as you start to become more successful is a two-letter word, and that word is no. You have been asked to do so many things at Fox. I mean, heck, you know, there was a time where you did a, you know, a, a, an NFL game and did a World Series game in the same day, in the same area, and, and in Northern California. I mean, there all kinds of different things that you've had a chance to do in your life. Has said – is saying no has it been hard for you? Is there something you've had to say no to or wanted to say no to?
1: Yeah, it's it's I'm not good at it, and and I, I think I'm not good at it for two reasons. I never saw my dad say no, but he said, but he didn't say no for different reasons. He he was a depression era kid, grew up with zero, built his career from the ground up. Uh, and, and worked at KMOX. I mean, he was doing Cardinal baseball every day and flying and doing Sunday CBS football on TV and then going to Monday Night Football on radio and then coming back and doing a call-in show on the Tuesday morning on KMOX and then doing the Cardinal game that night. It was just crazy. And, and I think that really made an impression on me when I was little, like, hey, if the boss asks, you don't say no because someday they're not going to ask you anymore. And, and, and there's some truth in that, but that, that, so that's one side of it. And then the other side of it is kind of the, the, the ego of it or the insecurity of it. Mm -hmm. Like, Well, if I don't say yes, then somebody else is going to go do it. And maybe they're going to like that other person more than they like me anyway. So I better go do it and play defense. And even though I don't really want to do live bass fishing on TV, Maybe they're going to freak out about whoever they put in that spot. And, God, Tom, I wish it was you.
0: Yeah. Believe Um, me, I'm at that point now where I'm looking forward to doing bass fishing. Well, I mean, (laughs)
1: but live bass fishing
0: should not be on that. (laughs) that You're right about that. I I got to agree.
1: I mean, I got nothing against fishing. I love it. (laughs) but, But tape it and cut it together and make it compelling. Yeah. Don't show up at 4.30 Eastern time and say, uh, hey, I hope the fish bite today yeah, that's right. because that's right. they, nobody, no, no fish were biting and nobody was catching anything. It was horrible. Anyway, so I think it's – I saw that from my dad, and then there's insecurity in it. And you know that someday they're not going to be asking you to, you to do it anyway. No, that's so true.
0: That's true. I think
1: it's both, but, but I don't – but you're right, and that's good advice. And, and I get that from my wife a lot more now, and, and it, I am better at saying no, but, but I'm, I'm not an expert at it.
0: What event would you like to do that you haven't done?
1: Nothing. There's nothing. Oh, come
0: like... on. A Final Four?
1: No. Don't really? Uh, I don't care. No. I, it's not, the Masters? I it's not that I don't care. It's just I don't care to do it. And and I would rather watch somebody else do it, um, you know, for, for a day, go back. and Like, I started doing college basketball. That's how I started. Yeah,
0: you were doing career, Missouri, right? It. Yeah.
1: I was doing Missouri and then the Missouri Valley Conference game of the week. And I loved it. I like, you know what? I I think I like basketball because I like being down there that close. Yeah, I agree.
0: I agree. I've always loved basketball, it's a great sport to do. I mean, the vantage point is
1: just, you know, it's like like when you do an NFL game at Soldier Field. It's the booth is most booths that are that low aren't very good. But I don't know about you, but yeah. It's almost like you can see the facial expression.
0: No question. The players. Yep.
1: And, and it's like, God, I wish I could call every game here. So you go back to basketball. It's like, I wish I was that close. Because you're taking some of the guesswork out of it. You're right there watching it. And now there's no distance. So I, I, I would like to do a college basketball game again just for the, the fun of it. But I don't follow it. And it, it, makes me, it would make me play so much catch-up mm-hmm. to come off like an expert. That I I just don't have the time to put in. If I were single and I was twenty five, yeah, I mean bring it all on. But at this point, with these twins and what I'm doing already, I'm I'm realistic enough to to know that that my dance card is as full as it's going to be, and and I'm going to start taking stuff away, not adding more stuff. So I I don't yearn to do anything else. I really don't.
0: I read an article where your wife Michelle before she, you know, really even met you or knew you that uh you know she thought you were arrogant. And mm-hmm. you know, she said uh you know this this Joe Buck guy whatever she said. Um but that she later found out after you two were introduced, I believe you were introduced by Rich Eisen, if I read the story correctly. Yeah, just,
1: just, yeah if you want an hour of conversation one-sided, bring it up to Rich. He'll tell you all about
0: <laughs> I know. There's no doubt. I ran into him at an airport, and I think he's still talking. We've been separated for two yeah. years since then. <laughs> but, you know, she she made the comment that Joe Buck on the air is different than Joe Buck off the air. Now, the easy question to ask is, How is Joe Buck off the air different than Joe Buck on the air? I I I think the more interesting question is, did you learn anything about Joe Buck on the air from her saying she liked Joe Buck off the air? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a great question. So when when we got into when I saw her and I began stalking her, which I did. Uh, and I was either going to get a restraining order or engaged. And I never thought I would get married for a second time, but I did. And I'm, I'm so thankful that I did. Uh, it's been the best thing in my life. Um, and, and I'm fortunate in that regard, but, but I, so I, I, I go through rich eyes and to try to figure out who she was. I'd never seen her. She worked at NFL network for years, never met her, never seen her on the air. And I, I reached out to Rich Eisen, who's who was a good friend, and I'm I'm kidding about him talking, uh, but he he said, "Oh, she's great. She's a great girl." And So he reached out to her. She was uh, getting out of a relationship, and he said he like played a game. Like, uh, there's a guy in a booth that wants your number. Is it okay if I give it to him? And she's like, "Well, I'm just getting out of a relationship or about to," and. You know, who is it, like Troy Aikman? No. Is it, uh, you know, whoever? doesn't matter. Brady Quinn? You know, whoever. All these good-looking guys. And she eventually, it gets down to, well, you know, oh, don't tell me it's Joe Buck. Yeah, it is Joe Buck. Why do you say that? Well, I don't know. There's just something about him. And then he said, well, he's a good friend of mine. He's a great guy. And she said, you know what? I don't know why I say that. I've never heard one thing about him that was negative or bad. There's just some feeling I get when I see him on TV and she has narrowed it down since then to a, a commercial I did for national car rental that I looked smug in and, and I, yes. So longest answer to a very good question, which is there, there's a difference between how you feel internally and how you present on TV. And, and Steve Horn's good at that too. When I'm thinking my face is really serious. Um, or if I'm trying to be cool, probably out of insecurity, it, it, it blends into the smug category. And, and I feel like, maybe only a smug person would say this, that I, I'm the last guy in that category, but, but that's how I look. It mm-hmm. might not be how I feel. So broadcasting or being on TV or being on camera is acting as much as it is anything else and coming on and like almost over smiling at the start, because if I'm thinking and I'm serious, I I look like I'm not happy. That's just my face. And, and it's the same with the smug part. So yeah, I learned how you look on the exterior is not how you're really feeling inside. So you better bring one up to match the other. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I think I've gotten better at that.
0: You know, I, I, back in the days when, when you would go off to do the World Series and I'd have a chance to step in uh, and, and join Troy Aikman um, on your football crew, uh, an extraordinarily talented crew. And, and, and we all, you know, you and I could sit around and talk for days about Troy and how much we think about him. But, you know, when he was going through his divorce, he, you know, he and I were having a conversation one day about, um, you know, starting to date again, and not wanting to ever bring any of those uh, women, even if it's somebody he really liked, uh, bring them around his daughters. And he has two daughters, like you have two daughters. They're a little younger than your two, but nonetheless, they, they, they were two teenage girls and living in the house, and, or actually younger than that, um, his were anyway. And, and he just said, you know, I, I just I can't bring myself to do it for multiple reasons. What, what were your daughters like? When, when, when all of a sudden now, you know, you and, and Anne are no longer married, uh, a, a length of time goes by, now you meet Michelle, as you talked about, and there has to be a day sooner or later where you've got to introduce all of them together.
1: Yeah. No, I only, I only introduced them to two women uh, that I dated, the second of which uh, being Michelle. <laughs> Thank God, that's the, that's the last I haven't introduced them to any other women I'm dating since I'm married to uh, Michelle. <laughs> but I, I think it, t- it, takes a, it takes a certain person on the other side of it to be able to understand the dynamics between a father and, and in my case, daughters uh, who are very close. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I go to a therapist, and, and talking to the therapist really helped me with this. And that their reaction was very normal. Like, who's on my turf now? Who, who is going to replace me with my standing with my dad? Mm-hmm. Who, who, is, who is now the object of his affection? And, and it's not me anymore. And, and he's already divorced from my mom. And now there's somebody, there's another element in this mix. Where do I fit? And and that's a really hard thing. It's a really difficult, and a lot of listeners, I'm sure, have been through this sure, very thing. Sure, sure. The the hardest thing is pulling the ripcord on a marriage and and having that conversation as a family with teenage daughters, or or any kid, and and then the next step. And and so, it, it was difficult, and you've got to pick the right time. The first meeting did not go well. Um, and, and I think they were, you know, they they were, one was, I guess, junior in high in high school and one was freshman or eighth grade and, and they, they became really defensive and then really critical of her and were not themselves and not very nice and, uh, kind of catty and, and then the relationship built from there. And they they played a trick on me one day when I was doing, so she lived in L.A. I brought my girls out to L.A. as like a let's-get-to-know-Michelle kind of uh, (laughs) gathering. And I go off to Anaheim to do a game, and I've got Michelle taking my daughters out to go shopping. Oh, boy. And she concocts a plan where they are going to trick me into thinking that they had some huge blow-up fight and that nobody is talking, and nobody likes one another. So I'm talking to Michelle on the way back from Anaheim to L.A., and she's like, I don't know, Joe, I just can't do it. These girls, they are. Oh,
0: man, that's oh, brutal. Really, that's brutal.
1: And I'm like, well, well what? And, and so I go in the room when I get back, and now we're all supposed to go to dinner. And I talk to the girls, I'm like, that is not how I raised you. You girls need to. And so, you know, and I'm <laughs> I'm getting mad at them, and then we all come down to meet to go to dinner, and they all start breaking up laughing. Oh man. And and it was it went from the worst moment in my life to like the best moment. Yeah. And I think we've got a chance here to make this thing work. And it, they they are as close now, Natalie and Trudy, to their stepmom, I guess, but they're adults as as pos as is possible. Yeah. And they they love her and they they use her as a sounding board and they call her instead of call me. And they, so it's become one of those things, but it didn't start that way. And, uh, for that moment, now I'm getting mad all over again. Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't so, blame you. I'm mad yeah, for you. So anyway, they, they're like, Oh, I'm glad you guys had a, had a blast. <laughs> right, up that right, way. right. But the fact that they did it. And I think that's the beauty of Michelle. Cause she's a, a child from a divorce. She had a great stepdad. And her stepdad's lesson or line to her was, as a step-parent, you have to know when to step in, you have to know when to yeah, step out, yeah. you have to know when to step aside, yep. you have to know when to step up, and that's really what being a step-parent is, and that's what Michelle has been. She's like, I'm not going to be their mom. She'd tell them, I'm not here to be your mom. I have no interest in that. I just want to be your friend. And, and that, you know, that's where it's grown uh, from and to, and, and it's been beautiful.
0: All right, you've been gracious with your time. I'm going to let you get out of here before I ask you one final question, though, and that is this. And, 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 and you know, um, I, I was almost uh, like you when I had my first kids because I didn't get married till very, very late in life, till I was 37 and didn't have our first child until I was 40. Um, you have twin boys now. Um, what are you really? I mean, besides watching them grow up and loving them and being there for them and all those kinds of things that every parent strives so hard for no matter what you do for a living, your kids are your kids, what's something you really want to do with these two boys? And not because of the sex, or, or maybe it is because of their sex. I don't know. You had two daughters from your prior marriage. What's something you really want to do, or have you even thought about it, with these boys moving forward?
1: Yes. I have. Um so when my daughter was 16, I climbed Kilimanjaro with
0: yeah, her. Yeah, I remember that.
1: Um yeah, and that was at the time when I was just starting to meet Michelle and and that was all going on and I was in Tanzania and wondering if I was, you know, still going to be talking to Michelle when I got back and I was kind of But you you really learn a lot about your 16-year-old daughter, and the 16-year-old daughter really learns a lot about dad when you're stuck in a tent for a week Mm -hmm. with uh, reconstituted water and eating soup, climbing this mountain, and going on a safari. I mean, it was the greatest trip we could have done. And so to answer your question, I want to be fit enough and healthy enough, knock on wood, God willing, uh, that when my boys turn 16, I can climb Kilimanjaro with them. And, and that's kind of like the faraway dream, but they're about to turn three, so let's say that's 13. I'll be 64, 65. Um, that That's something that I want to do. And, and then just the typical stuff. like Natalie, my oldest, played lacrosse and was really good, but, but just played high school lacrosse, and being at those games was like awesome,
0: all the best. Me. And no then my doubt youngest about it.
1: played tennis and lacrosse, and, and I just couldn't get enough. And to see these boys grow, you know, hopefully athletically, but but doing whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They want to play the clarinet. I don't care. But being there cheering them on and watching them develop, uh, that that to me is more exciting than any Super Bowl, than any World Series game. No doubt. anything I could do. And, and so I'm going to get to a point here where the balance of being home is going to far outweigh the balance of getting on another plane and going and doing another game. And and so I'm going to be realistic with my career. I'm not going to grow old in the booth, I don't believe. Uh, and and I want to climb that damn mountain with these boys uh, when I'm in my mid-60s. Well,
0: I know you're going to do it. Joe, I can't thank well, you enough for we'll your say. time today, my friend. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, and and I just can't thank you enough for being so gracious with your time. Of
1: course. I mean, I could talk to you all day. Love you, buddy.
0: Thank you, too, mom. my man. You take care of yourself. All right. Joe Buck, kind enough to join us on Dialed In. We've got some big episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to have Tim McCarver, Joe's longtime partner, uh, calling multiple World Series games. And, man, we're really going to hearken back on you know, his playing career, his broadcasting career. Um, and we're also going to have Mike Reed. I talked a little bit about Mike Reed uh, last week. But for those of you that don't know his story, Mike Reed was the Outland Trophy winner at Penn State University, was the best defensive lineman in the country. He's a first-round pick, top-seven pick in the NFL draft. He goes to the Cincinnati Bengals where he's an all-pro his first four years in the league. He's the most dominant defensive lineman in the National Football League. And he quits to start writing and playing music in a bar in Cincinnati known as the Blind Lemon. And his journey since then is absolutely unbelievable. We thank Dave Armbruster. I'm Tom Brenneman. And we'll look forward to catching you next week on Dialed In. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform.